I didn't really connect these dots till till just a couple of years ago. And, and um, you know, as I'm just processing through speaking as a business speaker and a business author, right, in the business space, faith is such a big component of that. And I would never dig into that story, I would never share that publicly, um, just out of my own my own fears. Welcome to Give a Heck. I am your host, Dwight Heck, and for much of my life, lived my life in quiet desperation, wondering how I was going to pay the bills, take vacations, save for retirement, and one day wondering if I would get off the hamster wheel of life and have purpose. A life that most of society lives, which takes us to work, then home, then repeat, and pays us hopefully enough just to survive. The harsh truth that most live with more months than money and have no idea how to live life on purpose, not by accident. This ensures the mass majority are living not just financially broke, however emotionally and mentally as well due to financial pressures. In each episode, I will introduce you to thoughts, ideas, and guests that can help you to learn how you too can live life on purpose, not by accident. Good day, and welcome to Give a Heck. On today's show, I welcome Matt Schaup. Matt is a follower of Jesus, serial entrepreneur, author, keynote speaker, Spain aficionado, aspiring paella chef, Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt, and Spanish coffee addict. Matt has founded six successful companies and grown them all from the ground up. All of these companies are being run by extraordinary people. Matt lives in northern Colorado with his wife and two children. Matt lives to inspire and ignite entrepreneurs to own and live their lives and businesses with excellence. I'd like to welcome you to the show, Matt. Thanks so much for agreeing to come on and share with us some of your life journey. Dwight, thank you. So honored to be here. Ah, it's my honor as well. I appreciate it. I'm quite excited about this conversation. Um, for the listeners, I I got up one day and all of a sudden there was a package at my door and Matt sent me some coffee and a French press to make the coffee. And we're going to talk a little bit about that throughout the podcast and, and his addiction to coffee, which I can totally appreciate for those that watch. Yeah, <laughs> I don't have the syrup kind of coffee like you. I just, you know, I, I'm not that cool yet. But you know, association is everything. So you can we'll, rub we'll some get of you, that. We'll get you, you there rub, once you, you try this. Yeah, you're going to love it. <laughs> you can rub some of that off me. So, you know, just a very cool person. It's the first time I've ever had a guest send me a present. That's, and I really appreciate that and can respect the, the, the connection that it created immediately once I opened the box and big smile on my face. And my son was standing beside me and he's looking like, what'd you get, dad? And I'm telling him, well, look, what th- look at this. Well, who sent you that? I said, a guest. I guess it was on your show. No, I said in the future. <laughs> he thought that was, I thought it was great. So thank you very much. That's very, very kind of you. So one of the things that I focus on with a person is their origin story. It can be yeah. as long as it needs to be from your earliest recollections to where you are today. People know, like, and trust us better when we're vulnerable. And that's one of the things we're going to talk to about as well. And throughout this conversation is your book and vulnerability and and being able to share stories. So 
I imagine your story is going to be phenomenal. So start wherever you feel comfortable, share whatever you'd like, and go as far as you would like, and we'll delve in from there, please. Yeah, I love it. Thank you for for having me on and letting me share that. And I'll open with um, my origin story at one level has the origin story of, of how I got into business and found my passion for entrepreneurship. But there's a, there's a deeper underlying part of just my journey as a little boy and what I went through and, and how that played into the future today. So I'll, I'll share the, you know, I'll share the, the, the I want the little boy story. I want resume. the little boy story for sure. I will. So I'm going to share the, I'm going to share the one that's, yeah. oh, this is how Matt found business. But then, you know, some of the things that, that, that I really pulled out of that, that I get a chance to share today to really just really help people. Cause it's important to know that your early experiences as a child, like that imprints beliefs and ways that you view the world and behave in the world. And, um, and everybody, and everybody has it and getting really clear on that. Uh, and then being able to help use that to make other people's lives better, such a beautiful thing. Uh, but I'll but I'll share that I grew up in New Jersey until um, I was 10 years old. And my early recollections of New Jersey is we were in a school environment that was very mixed. There was a lot of different uh, races and socioeconomic classes and, um, uh, you know, groups and cliques per se. And I remember being in school, being really scared to go to school because I got bullied a lot. So that was kind of my daily experience was catching whoopings on the playground. But when I got into the classroom was really, really brilliant. I was really good at math. I was very creative and I'd finished that schoolwork early they wouldn't give me enough or any more schoolwork. And I was a huge fan of uh, WWF wrestling. So me and another buddy, we'd, we'd have wrestling matches in class. We'd get into trouble, get kicked out of class. So I was labeled this troublemaker when in reality, I really was, um, really was brilliant. And my brain was just moving too fast for the environment that, that I was in. Um, we moved to New Jersey. Uh, sorry, to Colorado from New Jersey, right before I turned 10 years old, and I'm getting settled into Loveland, Colorado that summer. And I remember riding bikes through the neighborhood, heading over to a friend's house. He takes me into his room. He goes, I check this out. My mom and dad just bought me a boom box. You know, you remember the big plastic, the, you know, $200 has the CD player on the top, the double cassette. This is right when compact discs were starting to replace cassettes. And I'm like, that's really cool. And um, he's showing me the boom box. And he goes, yeah, just ask your mom and dad. They'll, they'll probably buy you one. So I came racing home on the bike. Mom, dad, you know, buy me a boom box. Johnny's got one down the street. And they're like, what a minute? Wait, wait a minute. How, how much is a boom box? $200. They're like, you don't have $200, they told me. And we're not going to give you $200. You make $4 a week cutting the grass. So go do the math. And I real quick, I go, that's a year. That's too long. They said, we'll go figure out a way to make more money quicker. And then we'll drive you to wherever Radio Shack, right? I think is where it was back then to buy the boombox. And, and I just remember that they said, go find a way to make your own money. We're not going to hand it to you. We're not going to give it to you. And I said, okay, well, $4 a week cutting the grass. When I'm done doing that, I'm going to go cut all the grass that I can on my, on my street. So I took the lawnmower. I'm you know, a little kid. So I'm pushing this big lawnmower and I knock on a little old lady's door, like three, four doors down from my house. She opens up the door, and this was my first ever like sales pitch, official business sales pitch. She goes, "Hey, you know what are you what are you doing here with that lawnmower?" I said, "Well, I want to cut your grass. I'm trying to save up money for a boombox." And she said, "You know what what would you want to cut this grass?" And I'm thinking like crazy because I want it to happen as fast as possible. I'm like, "What if I said twenty dollars? I only need to cut ten yards to get the boombox." 
but I'm getting paid for. So I'm like, how about $20? She goes, you, you got it. You got it, little guy. And if you do really good, I'll give you a tip. So I immediately 5X my, my income, right? I go from four to, to, to 20 and cut the grass. I, I get the 20, I get a tip. She goes, come back next week and do it again. So I'm like, that's 80 bucks a month. Yeah, that's 250 bucks for the, for the summer, for the season. And then I just continued to knock the doors. So that, that for me, Dwight, was my first sense of, you know, some validation and some certainty and some reward. So this is kind of the deeper story underneath the business story, right? Started a lawn mowing business, made a couple thousand, bought the boom box. Cool. Um, but like that was really rooting in me, this kind of this programming and relationship with, with money, right? Which, which stems from business. So I found out I'm really good at business. Lawn mowing turns to snow shoveling, turns to candy peddling out of my locker. So I'd open up my, my locker door and have all the shelves and Reese's pieces, bubble gum. And I'm just competing with the school store in middle school. And they shut me down. They suspended me for that and really came down on me. So um, I got in trouble. My entrepreneurial dreams were crushed. And then I just went back to school and was figuring, hey, how am I going to make money? Because I was really, Dwight, chasing the money. And I figured, hey, the more money I can make, the harder I can work, the more I'm going to be accepted and loved and feel safe and feel secure and feel certain. So that, so that programming is really starting to build. And really that, that was my start in business. And then that passion for entrepreneurship was reignited again. My freshman year of college at Colorado State University. So I went through middle school, high school, worked some hourly jobs. I graduate, I go to Colorado State University. And a, a guy comes into our Monday morning, 8 a.m. biology class. Um, and I just spent the weekend doing, you know, college weekend endeavors, right? Studying very, very strongly. Um, no, I was, out, I was out partying. So I come stumbling into more, Monday morning class. And the guy says, hey, um, I've got a little note card. He's like, if you want to make a bunch of money in the summer, learn about marketing, sales, business, fill this out. We're a summer internship. We'll teach you all about business. You get to use our money and our experience. And then he says, oh, and I made $30,000 last summer, this, this sophomore, junior in college. So my eyes lit up. I filled the card out and I got recruited by a college painting company. So a couple months after that biology class, I'm, I'm working spring, summer season, learning about residential paint contracting just here in northern Colorado with these guys. And um, I worked four years with them through college. And uh, they had a really effective system of uh, you know door knocking, guerrilla marketing, getting out in the neighborhoods, pr pretty high pressure sales, pretty systematic high pressure sales. And I made over six figures in college painting houses. And then I spent two, three times what I made and uh, bounced out for a semester to go to Spain to do a study abroad semester. And then when I came back, I met my wife in the basement of a bar, fell in love right away. She did not. It took her a little longer. <laughs> a cute factor wasn't there. We can, we can, it wasn't. No, I had, I had more hair. I still have the had more hair. The ears, the ears weren't as mangled, but um, I don't know. It just took her, it took her longer to reciprocate. Um, but no, when we married in 2004, I had left the college painting company thinking that, you know, painting's great, cool, cool college type of business, but, you know, I want something more prestigious. You know, painting's not sexy enough. It's kind of a summer sweaty, dirty, seasonal job. I'm going to go be a banker. I'm going to be a mortgage maker. So I've got the suit and tie, literally land in a bank in Windsor, Colorado as a mortgage loan officer and 
2004, 2005, just absolutely hating life, totally hating life. And uh, every day just coming home miserable and plotting my escape of like, how am I going to get out of this position? How am I going to leave this job? But at the same time, I've got to support Emily and I. You know, we had the brand new house, brand, you know, brand new car, school loans, all, all the stuff, all the debt. And um, yeah, that takes me to March 2005, where you know, that, that was a pretty life changing, direction changing event that day. Well, you had, you've had quite the experience. We have a lot of commonalities. And I love that your parents said, you know what, you want it, you got to go earn it. My, my dad and mom were the same thing. My dad, very, very, very successful business owner, um, retired quite a few years ago, and he clo closed his business down. But when I was growing up, he said to me, he says, you deserve a few things in life, love, shelter and food we're giving you that anything yeah. beyond that you you've got to go work for it and he made yeah. my i have two older sisters and myself we all had jobs like through throughout school um my first experience being an entrepreneur like yours being mowing lawn was paperboy and people say well yeah. that's not really being an entrepreneur sure it is i got doors slammed in my face when i tried to collect mm -hmm. money i had to make sure yeah. I had to have my own checking account when I was 12 years of age because I had to write checks to the to the national newspaper that is in the city that I live now. But at that time, I was in a small community of 10,000 people. I had to go out in all weather seven days a week delivering the paper. Yes. And, you know, I had to, literally people peeking through the window looking to see it was me and they wouldn't answer the door. And I was such a kind kid that I'd deliver for them two, three months without getting paid before I'd finally yeah. cut, I cut them off. So I learned mm -hmm. lessons already way back then, just like you listen, learn lessons, you know, mowing lawn and then going into shoveling snow and and just stuff like that. And there's a lot of people that don't appreciate their lessons that a parent can teach us. Right. And we yeah. we. I look back then and I think to myself, well, fine, I'll do that. I'm going to prove to you. And I'd, I'd always spend it all. I'd, I'd make all Did this you? money. Yeah, I was wondering. I, I was, I'd make <laughs> this money and I'd go out and and buy whatever. I'd go to the local radio shack. I'd buy a, you know, a tape recorder. I'd buy these electronic things because it, for a while in my life, I also was very heavily into electronics and actually went to school for electronics engineering and graduated before I ever got into my current financial practice 21 years ago. And, you know, just the different things that I learned throughout the way, throughout the process of it, leading up to where I am now, our origins are so important. They really were our yeah. stepping stone to our success today. Um, I like the fact, though, you talked about the fact of making six figures through college and then yeah. I believe I was reading too, though. So you you ended up being like a couple hundred thousand dollars in debt because you spent it all. And so yeah. th throughout yeah. that process, you married your wife. Did she know you were in debt? Were you one of those people this, that shared it with her? So this is crazy, right? So I was the obviously the big spender, had no financial blueprint at all. I just didn't know how to manage money. Nobody ever taught me how it works. I just knew how to make it. And then I knew how to spend it. And it was cool. Um, Emily was the real conservative one. So when we got married, um, we did not we did not talk about it. We didn't sit down and nobody had encouraged us to compare, you know, financial sheets, bank statements, things like that. And uh, I started podcasting a lot 
four or five years ago going on. And I remember sharing this story of, of the amount of debt. And I think the first podcast that uh, ever came out, I shot it over to Emily. I go, hey, check this out. I was on a podcast. And she's like, "You, ha we had what kind of debt? She had no idea literally till four, five years ago that, that we were in that in that space. And it just shows like where we were in our communication level maturity or say lack there of it in, in marriage. We were just new to this whole thing. So no, she did not. She did not know. Well, and part of the problem yeah. is the, the highest failure rate for marriages in not just North America, the world is due to lack of communication um, over money and yeah. people that hide things and not intentionally, they just, they just, it's the status quo for them. They just keep on moving forward. So the biggest thing we need to do in society today is like, I know when I got, you know, unfortunately I'm divorced, but at one time I was married, have five kids. We ended up, you know, you go through marriage courses before we got married and that's something they should have taught. Just like our school yes. systems fail teaching people the basics of money there. Some school systems are getting better in North America. There are some great programs that are out there that I talk about where, you know, schools can introduce them to teach people about, you know, the rules of the money game, the budgeting, the goal setting. But unfortunately, there's no real good courses for people to enter into marriage um, in a way where they have everything laid out on the table. So that that yeah. person, because I've had clients that it's destroyed their marriages when the other person finds out, right? At least for yeah. you, it was yeah. cleared up by the time your wife found out. That's a positive. Yeah. Well, we went back and talked about that. And I said, well, how in the heck? Because I remember, I'm like, I remember, you know, sitting on this, this, we had one couch in our condo, this little broken coffee table. And every Sunday I was like doing the bills and figuring it out. She's like, I, I saw you doing that and just figured you had it taken care of. And, you know, I let her know, hey, we paid, we paid the school loan down. We paid the car down, boom, boom, as, as the business took off. And uh, we started becoming success, successful with our painting company. Um, we, you know, I was handling that and she just knew it was okay, but yet she didn't understand that severity of how bad, how big the hole was that we were digging out of when we were digging out of it. Oh yeah. But good for you for, uh, you know, being tenacious in life and realizing that even though you, you set aside the painting business to go become that suit person, because I, I went through that phase in my life too, to realizing what you had your hands on that you had learned because you learned, like you mentioned, the guerrilla marketing, you learned all this different nuances of a, of a, of a business, which could have been applied to many different businesses, but you choose to go into the painting world and, and now have six businesses, which we're going to talk about shortly here. Yeah. I want to digress a little bit here and talk about, you know, I have heard many amazing stories in life of how people discover Jesus, right? I'm a Christian, yeah, as we yeah. talked about. However, imagining yours to be one of the more interesting after I was reading up on you yesterday and wanting to connect with you before we have this podcast, you discovered Jesus in the back seat of a police car, brother. Please share I what did. transpired and led you to yeah. discover Jesus is in all places, a police car. Yeah, it, it was it was wild. Um, the first introductions that I had to God and Jesus growing growing up. So so way before the police car, right? I was 19 in the back of a police car. And I'll get to that. But it was a lot of people that had a lot of judgments and conclusions about God 
and about Jesus, that, that he's fake, he's false. People that follow Jesus are hypocrites, Bible thumpers, they're prejudiced against certain groups, right? But like name, name the whole list of objections. So I just grew up in an environment where that's what I heard. So when I would meet a follower of Jesus, I'd meet a, a Christian, I immediately had that lens. I immediately had that filter. So I was looking for, for that stuff. Um, so I would say lead, leading into college, a couple of early memories of, of meeting some Christians where I had a couple of friends in high school. And I mean, they were on fire for God, on fire for Jesus. And um, they graduated high school and they're like, hey, we're going to do a mission. I said, well, cool. Like, what, what's the mission? Where are you going? Well, we can't tell you. Said, what do you mean you can't tell me? That sounds kind of secretive. They're like, well, we've been told by this organization it's top secret. And it was it was just weird. Those guys end up going off and joining. It effectively was a was a cult. And, you know, I saw great friendship relationship just severed because of that. So again, that creates this pattern. So I'm going into college and because of all of this striving and working to make money to prove myself, I still am very, very much not confident. So you put me in a sales situation, I'll, I'll go sell you something and I'm confident there. But whenever I was not in that environment, anywhere else I was in life, outside of that little business bubble, um, I was very much concerned what people thought about me, just really, really not confident and just carried a lot of pain and hurt from my childhood. So you get to college, um, what do you do in college, right? Hey, what are we doing Friday night? You don't live at home anymore. You're, you're in the dorms. Let's go party. Let's go drink. So leading into college, I was introduced very, very quickly to um, obviously more, more alcohol, but really all, all the drugs that were going on back then. So literally freshman year of college, I'm going out crushing a 4.0 GPA because I can get through the school. But my Thursday night till Monday morning, I was I was wrecked. I was wasted. I was high. And I literally should have been I should have been dead like many, many times over going through college. Um, but no, but nobody knew because I put on this facade, you know, got all cleaned up on Monday, went to class and was doing good. And I'm running the college painting thing, but we're just going out and I'm literally just destroying my body, right? And almost killing myself over and over and over. So January 1st, 2001, the clock had just struck New Year's Eve about an hour ago. So it's one in the morning and I'm standing in the middle of a field on a really, really cold Colorado morning, um, completely, completely high, completely drunk, um, as close to death as I had ever been, like as physically close to death as I had ever been. And, and I would also say spiritually as close to death as I had ever been. And, and I didn't really care at that point if I lived or, or died. We had just left a house party. The cops came in, busted it up and I'm 19. So I'm not, I'm not getting a ticket. I'm not getting arrested. So we, I go running away from this house. I'm standing in this field trying to get my bearings and find out that, you know, to get home, I just need to walk straight. Uh, but I'm but I'm freezing. I had just been running, so I was sweating, and now that's starting to freeze, and I'm getting cold. So every step that I take closer and closer to home, I'm literally dying. I'm I'm not going to make it home. So I I make it to the front yard of of a house. The street dead ends, and I'm like, I know I need to keep going straight. So I'm going to climb this fence, go through this yard, and and I should pop out over where I live. So I start trying to climb this fence and I can't get over it. It's it's like three feet high, right? Like it's not, it's not that tall. So I start kicking the fence and cursing at the fence and I'm fighting with the fence. And I I feel and, and see headlights from a vehicle pulling up behind me. So I'm not really registering it, but a car pulls up behind me, door opens, door closes. 
somebody gets out, guy grabs me by the scruff of the neck and back of the pants and spins me around and slams me onto the hood of a, of a Ford Brown Astro van. So I'm really confused. I go, what, what is this? There's a woman in the front seat. There's two babies in baby seats in the back seat. And he identifies himself as Fort Collins police. And he puts me in handcuffs. He puts hands behind the back. And I'm now, you know, swaying around this car, barely able to stand freezing in handcuffs. And I don't know what's going on until I realize, okay, this guy is a, is a cop. He calls the marked police officer. They pull up and then they transfer me to the, to the police car. And, and now all the dots connect. I'm like, okay, I am arrested. They hadn't arrested me, but I'm like, okay, I'm arrested. I'm in the back of a police car. And uh, I get in and he goes, hey, man, um, very stereotypical police officer talk, right? That authoritative, I'm here to punish you. So he's he just starts reading me the uh, the riot act. What are you doing out here drinking? Do you know you could get in trouble and that's illegal? And how old are you? And he's just telling me everything that I've done wrong, right? Just, just like a lot of other people, a lot of other Jesus followers that I had run into. Here's where you're, here's where you've sinned. Here's where you're wrong. Here's where you're going to hell. So, you know, I'm sitting here, here we go again. And He's like, you know, do you want to go to jail? Do you want to go to the drunk tank? I said, no, I don't. And he goes, look at this computer screen in my car. Here's all the calls I need to go on. Um, it's a bunch of guys like you that I got to go scoop up. And, you know, it's a lot of paperwork. He goes, can you tell me where you live and how to get there? And I'm like, I think so. I go, can you just go straight <laughs> like through the yard? He goes, no, like you need to tell me street by street where to go. So he pulls out of the neighborhood and I tell him how to take me home. And for most of that car ride, it was either quiet. And anytime he spoke, it was just, he was very annoyed, very judgmental. And I'm like, hey, at least I get to go home and I'm, and I'm warming up. So he pulls into the parking lot of this apartment complex where I live, uh, opens the door, gets me out of the car. And he actually lets me, you know, lets me out of those handcuffs right there. And he starts to walk me to the door. He says, I'm going to walk you to the door. And he takes his hand and he puts it in the middle of my back. And he's just guiding me to the to the front door. And all of a sudden, all of that uh, power, control, authority coming down on me, judging me, ridiculing me, like, which is, which is what I felt in this car ride, it, it immediately changed. He goes, hey, Matt, uh, before, before I let you go, I just want to let you know why I was so upset with you in the car. And he said, just a couple of months ago, you know, and he was from another department. So he said a couple of months ago in another city, he goes, I picked up a kid that, that looked just like you. He was, he was your age. He was in college. Um, and he was, he was doing drugs and he was drinking. And, and I don't even know what the heck this guy was doing, but in the process of picking him up and, and figuring all this out, he passed away. So I didn't get to drive him home. I got to drive him and hand him over to the morgue. And then I had to go over and tell his parents at their home that their, that their son just died. So again, like, dude, this guy does not, Dwight, he does not quite a, quote a Bible verse. He didn't say the name of Jesus. There's none of that going on. Uh, and then he says to me, he goes, I just, I just want you to know whatever you got going on and why you think you need to be doing this. Um, you're loved. And there's people out there that love you. And I, and I want you to know that. And he said, I hope next time I see you and run into you. You're making better choices and, and wiser decisions. I think I think it was. And then he takes me to the door, 
again, he didn't give me a track. He didn't give me a little mini pocket Bible. I didn't wake up, you know, with a Bible in my back pocket. He, he just said, you are loved and sent me on my way. And, and I'll tell you all of my college experience running into Christians that, that portrayed Jesus and the Bible and his teachings uh, to, to me, all I saw were the people that were judging me. So I think because I was so strongly judged, that's all I looked for and all I saw. And I didn't realize there was this other group of people, maybe more so than I thought, that were loving me and encouraging me along the way in this in this faith walk. But that police officer, what he did that night, that really removed the the, the scales from my eyes or just that filter through which I viewed um, a relationship with Jesus. And I wake up the next day, I'm extremely sick. I'm extremely hungover. Like I almost I almost died that night. We had I, I mean all all the drugs, all the booze, just it was, it was, it was wild. I'm surprised that I, that I made it through that night. And I wake up that next day and I'm like, that that's as close as I'm ever wanting to come again to being almost dead. That guy had the control, the power, the authority to punish me, to condemn me, to take me to jail. And he didn't, he gave me grace and he gave me kindness and he gave me love. Um, and that is what the story of Jesus and what he did is. And at that point, like that's where it clicked for me. And I'm like, I need to make a decision. And then I read two books that week because then the then the logical part of the brain comes in and it's like, no, this isn't real. This this is not real. This is fake. So I read uh, Lee Strobel's Case for Faith and Case for Christ from literally January 2nd to January 13th as I'm, you know, going back to school doing my thing. And somebody told me this was a this was a Jesus follower. I go, you know, I still don't think this is true. And he goes, oh, well, you should read this because this guy went out to prove that. And I think you'll really like what he proved and not not telling me what the book concludes with. So I read those two books. And then on January 14th, 2001, that's when I made the decision and the commitment to give my life to Jesus. And and I did that. That's amazing. Um, one of the things that. I keyed on, you talked about the fact that the cop himself, the police officer, never talked anything directly about Jesus, about God. But really, at the end of the day, when we're at our lowest points in life, God sends people to us, whether we accept him or, you know, want to understand that there's something bigger and brighter and more powerful than us. That's what happened to you. You were just more receptive at that point in time because of the I think because in my opinion because of the demeanor of the way you told the story of the cop and how he shared with you he was vulnerable back to that storytelling we talked about before I hit yeah. record he shared with you and it connected with you whether you were drunk yes. stoned blitzed whatever it was just an opportunity where finally you were willing to be open to it it was because of that story yeah. connection wouldn't you agree I, I would. And I, and I feel really looking back on that. I mean, God, God had brought so many people to my life in and out of my life and through this story up to that point. And it was um, what I conclude is, you know, just just love somebody where they're at. Even if you feel as a as a follower, as a believer, you know, I don't want to thump them over the head with the, the Bible or the word, just show them, tell them, let them see, let them feel that they're that they're loved. And that's going to meet them where they're at. And, and that's going to impact their life. And he just, this, this officer showed up in a way that I needed to be spoken to that the way I needed to receive this at that time in my life. And it's really, it's really interesting because 
I didn't really connect these dots till till just a couple of years ago. And, and um, you know, as I'm just processing through speaking as a business speaker and a business author, right, in the business space, faith is such a big component of that. And I would never dig into that story. I would never share that publicly, um, just out of my own my own fears. Uh, so, yeah, I would I would agree that I, he was he was brought at the right place at the right time. And I feel that God creates those situations and those environments. And um, just just remember to love, just to love on people. Don't judge people. You never know what somebody's going through and how you have the decision to be kind, even though it might be really hard to be kind or or not. Just just choose love, choose kindness. And and take the blinders off because when you talked about the fact that most of your experiences with you know Jesus with Christianity were people that were very judgmental. I can concur with that. That's been that way throughout my life too. But really at the end of the day, what is our world comprised of? Negativity through the media, before social media, even like just news, people listening or watching this, you know, quit watching the news. I'm not saying you can't (laughs) stay up to date on life, but it's not, it's poisoning you. It is for those that believe in, in the devil, right? Evil exists and it's always stronger just like when you're upset about something you'll tell a hundred people that you're upset you'll give something a bad review but when you're excited about it why do you only tell two or three so the kindness factor needs to amplify to that hundred times factor of people spreading judgment negativity and i'm a work in progress like matt i'm not perfect but i continue along my journey with with jesus and with christianity and those that are listening or watching cuz i do have people that aren't god fearing and that's fine you can yeah. worship and do whatever you want in life but at the end of the day my message would be be kind be humble stop listening to the news and what are your associations what are you listening to besides the news do you have negative friends family do you have things that are yeah. constantly making you feel bad when you leave a room if you're not feeling happy and glad there's something wrong with the associations in that room and you need yes. to really reflect you need to really be start to become self-aware i'm not saying it's easy i'm not saying it's hard either it takes effort it takes work if you'll take effort and work to learn how to accomplish anything in life. Why not accomplish working on the six inches between your ears to where you can literally look at people and find the goodness and be kind. You may be harsh initially, but the end result is you're doing it in a compassionate, kind way to get across your point. And that's what God wants for us. That's what Jesus was doing. He was always turning the other cheek. I'm not saying you need to physically turn the other cheek and get beat down. But sometimes you just need to be open and receptive that there is a lot of kind, good people out there that religion, organized religion, is it is it great? No, there's broken things about organized religion. Let's yeah. be real, yeah. because a lot of it's controlled by people that are judgmental and negative. Find your yeah. tribe, find your people that are willing to resonate and have open conversation that is non-judgmental, that is supportive and helpful. But anyway, I'll get off my soapbox. <laughs> No, I love it. And you made you made such a great point that that really stuck is the the six inches in here, like what you let in there and what you let resonate and play the story, the tape that plays, and then it sets up like it's paying rent and setting up space in your head. That really becomes how you view the world. And then, okay, now you view the world, you have those lenses. Now everything you go out, that there could be great, kind, loving, caring, amazing people that support you, they love you, they're cheering you on. 
but you have this lens of you know doom and destruction and despair, whatever it is, right? Whatever you carry. And you're just going to see that, oh, well, they're just doing this because they want to get ahead. Or, you know, I remember this one time three and a half years ago when they were kind of impatient with a with a server at a restaurant. They're, so they're, they're jerks. That's all fake. That's all fake. Right. Like I've, I've been there. So just be, have to be really careful what what is in your mind. And then once you can understand the stories you put in and the lenses you have and how you perceive things, you can go back and change that. And, and you made a great point. Right. Like the people you spend time with, um, I will. I will stop conversations when they're not going anywhere positive. I was, I was on one yesterday and I'm like, you know what, I'm going to end this conversation. I got to go. And, and the person was really like really shocked. I go, this is going nowhere. Good. It's not going to do any of us or the people that we're making this decision for any good. Just ended it. Um, but being really conscious of that, just at a small level and making those adjustments makes a huge difference. Well, how, how can we serve humankind, mankind, if we don't protect ourselves and, yeah. and and start to realize and understand those triggers that a conversation is starting to make you feel. Being really self-aware of our present body, of what's going on, mm-hmm. not just between our six inches, our physicality, and then realizing it's okay to say, you know what, I'm done, right? Yeah. I, yeah. I can appreciate your, your point of view, Matt, but at, at this point in time, it's not conducive to me moving forward and you and I moving forward, it's making me feel not the greatest. So, mm-hmm. you know, I'm going to exit stage right. And, yeah. you know, yeah. maybe it comes to, to a point where it severs a relationship yes. or it resets the relationship and the, and you put up boundaries for that person. See, I find myself when I've had those circumstances where I've had to put the brakes on, it severs it. It may temporarily, we may think that we can yeah. recover it. But sometimes those people aren't in the same headspace as me. They aren't in a place in a journey where they want to understand, accept, realize, and admit that they're 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 faulty. There was only in my in my life there was only one person that was on this earth that ever walked that was perfect, and it certainly isn't any yeah. of us. And that was thousands yeah. of years ago. So yeah. if if I can admit I'm not perfect, but and I know I'm a working project, and I do all the steps to correct that and associate with great people like you, I, I stand a chance because I stand it. When I say that I stand a chance, I stand a chance of bettering myself so I can better others be kind and humble. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's why we're here at, at the end of the day. I mean, I, I remember the the day and the period where I really started making a shift in the, the greater purpose of business, right? That it's, it's, you know, there's P and L's and there's profit and there's income and there's, there's all the money and the numbers, but like we have an opportunity to serve people to take part of our story and pour that into the lives of other people and contribute to them and take the lessons we learned and not like hold them in and be selfish with them. But it's like, here you go. Um, And that's what's been so fun in the businesses that we now have. We get to do that in different ways with these different businesses. But, but I'd always, I, I didn't always think that way. You know, even though I turned my life over to God at 19, you know, he immediately stripped some things away right away, right? Like the drugs, I didn't touch drugs after that. Literally the minute that happened, that's not a thing. What I did the next weekend though, I went out drinking again the next weekend. Uh, so so he slowly, slowly removed these, you know, these things away from my life. But I, you know, I had a pretty big awakening about a decade ago in business where I realized that, you know, if you focus on the profit and that's all you focus on, the people will run. But when you pour into people, the profits will come. Sometimes it takes a little bit longer. 
and and you you're investing more upfront, but you can build something so much greater than than just this money making machine, right? Well, the longevity is there, the longevity, yeah. and that's the biggest thing. Is everybody that I know, I've known people that are very successful millionaires initially, but they're all of, all about the profit. They're all about they yeah. forget about the people. They forget about the journey of their faith, their family. Yes. Work has to be mm -hmm. third. That's my core values, faith, family, yeah. work. And yeah. have I always made as much or been as successful as other people perceive, you know, their friends and family? Look what this person's accomplished. You know, yeah. well, I had somebody here recently tell me, well, you should be farther along in your business. And I was just like, really? Why do you say that? And I heard them out, right? They were kind about it. And I said, well, I'll take that under advisement. And literally... It, it, it wasn't my core values. It was their core values of what they thought mm -hmm. I should achieve and where I should be yeah. going. And I'm quite comfortable with where I'm at because when I pray and when I do my gratefulness exercises a couple times a day, I do them when I go to bed, when I get up at God speaking to me through prayer. And not once has God said, Hey, you know what? You need to accelerate and do yeah. this and leave that behind. Yeah, I keep on yeah. hearing, well, you need to do more of this good stuff that you're doing. You know, you need to be more yeah. faith bearing. You need to connect more with people. And I'm always taken care of. Even my lowest financial times in my life where I've been in debt, yeah. similar to yourself, or I was felt like I was on that hamster wheel of life. Mm -hmm. I was always pulled away from it because I'd always pray. Sometimes I didn't yeah. know what I was praying for. I was just praying for strength, for guidance. I wasn't yes. praying for anything specific. It, if it's to be, it was still up to me, but I gave it up and realized that I was weak, that I, I had frailties, that I could continue to get better in life. And now, you know, in my fifties, five kids, five grandkids, one great grandkid and life's good. Whoa, right? great grandpa. So, yeah. Just recently <laughs> in the last month. Yeah, yeah. Congratulations. How does that, how does that feel to be a great, great grandpa or a, a great grandpa? It, it feels pretty neat, actually. I'm going to fly out next week to Vancouver Island. I don't know how many of your listeners in the U.S. even know where Vancouver It's on the coast of British Columbia. Um, that's where he lives and with his girlfriend. I'm going to go. I want to go meet my great grandbaby. Right? So I'm taking that's next amazing. week off. Congrats. I'll take, you know, life's in session. I, I'm not going to chase all this money and forget about the journey of life. Because I see all these people that chase the money and then I'll ask them, well, what good happened along that journey? And they're just like dumbfounded. They can't tell me anything because yeah. they were so focused, you know, that and they missed their kids growing up or they missed their significant other. And they they just, mm -hmm. there's so many things great about life. If I passed away today, all the money doesn't matter. Yes, estate yeah, planning. Yeah, yeah, estate planning is great. Leave stuff to my kids. I give them stuff now. I rather help them now than wait till I'm gone because I don't know what yeah. day God's going to call me home. So I live. I live for the journey. I live for the life. I live for that faith, family, work. It's worked for me now for you know close to thirty years. It gets better as the progress goes. Yeah. Just like you, all of a sudden I just didn't have that come to Jesus moment and everything was perfect. Right, where you went and had a drink that we started drinking the weekend later, but you started on that journey, that baby step. Yes, that's yeah. what's impressive, right? You you kept going, 
you struggle, you fall, you pick yourself up, you put a band-aid on your owie and you move forward. And that's what I've done. And those listening and watching, you can do it too. Again, yeah. it doesn't have to be on the journey of Christianity. I, I think it would be great if it was, but if it's not, just be kind, be humble, check yeah. your associations of what you watch, listen and read, and your life will already start getting better every day. You made another really great point too, is that, you know, whatever, whatever the domain is, right. Whether it's your faith and spiritual journey or your journey as a family, right. A, a man, father, husband, whatever that is, if you're a man, um, business, you're, you're never there. Like you don't ever arrive to this destination for me. Um, like in, in my business journey, it's, you're always learning and you're always getting better. And it's just that idea of, you know, 1% better every day. And I think we get really hard on ourselves. I, I encourage everybody is don't compare your journey to anybody else's. And, and don't think just because somebody made it to this point with whatever metric you're using to measure it, um, they made it to this point here in their business journey. They, they could be at a totally different point in other parts of their journey. So just worry about your journey and compare yourself to yourself. But we live in a society, right? Where grab the, grab the phone, like, let's get on the social and the, and the minute you get in there, it is like the highlight reel, best of the best. It's, it's posturing and painting this picture of perfection that pops up. So then what you immediately see and feel like this is the human psychology of like marketing and sales, right? They're going to show this beautiful painted picture of something that you lack and this problem that you have. So you start to feel crappy about yourself. And what do they have magically? Like 12 seconds into the video, they've got the. $99 five-step thing. Not saying that people don't provide value, right? But that it follows this framework of um, you got to understand what's what's coming in here, what those intentions are. And I know people that are selling great products and programs. I, I take people on leadership retreats to Spain. Like I have something I'm doing to improve their lives. Um, but yeah, it's just so easy to start feeling down on yourself and comparing yourself. And when you can unplug and disconnect from that, uh, that's that's very powerful, and that's hard to do because society and social media and everything is only going more and. Well, that it's, it's designed to make you have that less than syndrome, right? Yes. Or that FOMO and, syndrome, yeah. you fear of missing yeah. out. And I've been there. Like honestly, yeah. I I've been there, and I still struggle. And I literally have learned how to check myself out when I start having that negative response, yeah. even when it's not with somebody mm -hmm. saying something that as we talked about where it brings us into a, a negative headspace, I can do it to mm -hmm. myself. Just oh gosh, I do it. Mind, yeah, every day. Yeah. My every mind day I waters. Gotta, I gotta and myself. yeah, I check myself out yeah. and I've learned to time myself out. Um and I coach on it and it's 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 made my life better. The more effort I put into me, the better I become as a person to others. The better yes. dad, the better grandpa, the better friend, the better business associate the better coach everything is in life is about taking those steps every single day to be grateful realizing that oh my gosh i had this moment i can't believe i was thinking that i can't believe i was feeling yes. that why am i feeling that way why did i think that check myself mm -hmm. and yeah. sometimes step away from my my work environment and go on a walk call up yes. somebody positive like matt and say hey matt i'm feeling like garbage right now you know this yeah. is what's going on. And Matt may not have any advice except to give me a listening ear, which is sometimes all we need mm -hmm. to discover the answers that we hold inside our own heart. Right? And and what I what I um, 
because I because I go through these seasons sometimes. So like we're going through a lot of chaos right now in uh, a couple of our businesses, a lot of transition and just just change in different capacities. And I and I started going down this rabbit hole. Right, you just you just identify this one little thing. You go down a rabbit hole. You start painting this picture of something that's not going to happen, and then all of a sudden, uh, this this is a program that I run. Right, so whenever there looks to be not even if there is, but if there just seems to be financial trouble ahead, right? And what's out there right now? Well, we're all going to crash. Rates are going to rise, crash, all this stuff, right? So you start going down this. And then I'm, I've painted this picture of like homeless under a bridge somewhere, you know, in the Northern Colorado area with my family. And, and literally I, I go get into these spaces. I do. And uh, then I go out to lunch with a, with a great friend of mine. And he's like, hey, man, I just I need some encouragement. I just want to share some things I'm going through right now. And I just want your advice. And I want you to pray for me. Right. So I go sit down, have this lunch. We sat down for like two, three hours um, and, and just talked about his life. And I'm like, well, here's some perspective. And as I'm sharing this, I'm sitting here thinking, man, I should take my own advice. So oh I know gosh. when I when I when I get into these spaces, um, it's easy for me and I'll isolate and I'll just get real. My world will get real small and it's totally not healthy. Like it is not a healthy thing. It takes me back to uh, very bad programming and habits. And, um, you know, I just realized that. So I'd say if, if anybody's, this is resonating with somebody in there in that space, um, go find somebody to help, you know, go find somebody that you can contribute to and then, and then take your own advice. And it was just really interesting because he's literally sharing some of the same uh challenges that, that he's going through that i'm also going through and i'm like dude i'm going through that right now how do we figure this out together and then you know you've got some accountability so um that's amazing yeah, i think i love that well and being in a space of you know i own companies and i i'm supposed to be the leader that always has it together always has all the answers i can never show the, the chink in the armor right i think that's how society paints this scene of, of how we think we should be. And that's, and that's not true. I mean, like I've broken down in front of my team. I'm like, guys, um, I don't know what to do right now. I'm tapping out for a second. We need to reset, figure this out. I need help. I need to step away or like, holy cow. I was just a massive jerk to that person. Like I, I reacted. I did not respond. I reacted to a situation and, and I was not kind. Um, this just happened, you know, like, like a month but, ago. But admitting so, it yeah. though is, is, is a, a big part of the battle we go through in life is realizing like even growing up um you know i didn't have a lot of oh i'm sorry for that kind of behavior that happened to you um you know and I, as i grew up with my own kids being a single dad i ended up getting full-time custody of them when some of them weren't even teens yet and realizing that i reacted instead of you know just dealing with it in a kind way and having mm -hmm. being it's tough to go and apologize because so many adults have that same thought process where they deal with things like it's okay for me to do it. It's not okay for them to do it. Why should yeah. I apologize? I'm the adult. So I had to learn that evolution, even my evolution through my, through my um, path with Jesus would involved me dealing with my kids and going up and knock, knock, yeah. knock, open the door. I'm sorry, dad acted that way. I apologize. Yes. Here, here's the reason why it happened. That's no excuse. I don't want you to think that I'm making an excuse for my behavior. Here's what I was going on at the moment when you asked me this, or you did this and it triggered me. I allowed it to trigger me and I apologize. Mm -hmm. 
I will do yeah. better next time. Right. Yeah. Apologizing it can start, you know, an avalanche of connection and trust. And we don't realize mm -hmm. it because it ties back to being vulnerable. And, you know, those listening yes. or watching, yeah. never be afraid to apologize to somebody younger than you. Don't ever think you've arrived oh, yeah. as we talked about or that you know it all. You know, somebody younger than me, let's say in their 40s, I'm in my 50s. Oh, I've learned more than they know. Like, you know, don't have that kind of attitude. I used to. It yeah. does not serve you. Yeah. yeah. I, I, um, I, I, love Brazilian jiu-jitsu so where where my mind is going as you're saying that and I'd love to share we'll, sure. we'll park some time Absolutely. while we're here but yeah. I've trained Brazilian jiu-jitsu for a number of years and that that journey how I was introduced to it how the journey of jiu-jitsu transpires in, in everybody's life it's one of these things where you're never there right like you think the black belt is there and then you realize oh wait there's like nine degrees of, of a black belt above that and black belt means you're just kind of learning the fundamentals after 10 to 15 years of training and, and it's, you know, you're constantly humbled on the Brazilian jiu-jitsu mats. Uh, but, but what I was going to say too, is um, I would say as a, as a father, I, I love sharing, you know, my story as a man to other men about how to be a better father for, for your kids. And that is a huge thing. I, I screw up parenthood on a daily basis. And, and I know where my triggers are, where I'll be short with the kids and I'll overreact. And there's a huge difference be, be, between a reaction and a response. You know, a reaction is something hits you and it's that knee jerk. You don't take a minute to breathe and it's just mouth opens and something comes out. And I know what mine does. It's usually not nice. It's not kind. It's short. It's not well thought through versus the response. It's whatever comes at you. Take a breath. Okay. What happened here? What What's going on with one of my kids right now to where they would have behaved, said, not said, whatever it was, and then just, just like take a breath, try to figure out the movie that's playing out and then and then respond. And it's just a, a huge difference. And yeah, I find myself apologizing very, very frequently. And it's a good thing. It doesn't mean that you've lost authority as a parent or that your kids don't respect you. Um, it's actually a great way to heal through the little micro traumas or maybe macro traumas that you're putting on your kids that when you don't apologize, they're going to be 22 and, and those are going to be weighing on them pretty heavy. And, and it's never been talked about because that environment's not, not there. Um, so that's been something, you know, because of what I've learned from, from my story, I didn't have those conversations with people that, that, you know, I had that go on with. So now I make sure to have them every day. With, yeah, with I love I love yeah. how you said that though. It's those micro to macro, and you didn't have it, I didn't have it. And when yeah. we do discover it as adults, you know, it's every single day is a new adventure, right? Every single yeah. day is you're living in the present moment, which doesn't mean it's going to be perfect, you know. And I look at a world that that suffers so much with anxiety, worrying about the future, yeah. depression, worrying about the yeah. past experiencing both at the same moment and they just get overwhelmed when they forget that they should be grateful number one you're alive mm -hmm. you got an opportunity to mess up or an opportunity to do well right which do you choose yeah. so make a conscious yeah. choice when you yeah. feel yourself like i had somebody on my show here a couple months back that talked about the psychology that you have literally 45 seconds to a minute to correct your state of mind when you feel yourself yeah. getting into that reactionary world and yeah. that sticks with me 
right? It really does because I knew about it, but I never really thought about it in a conscious way. And again, that's back to that associations. When you associate with people, you and I learned things that we can use to better our lives, which help better our children's lives. And it's just, you don't want them getting to a point where like I was 21, 22, as you mentioned, the age where I'm I'm thinking about all this garbage that I experienced growing up, bullied, I was bullied like you, had severe health issues, had an overprotective Mm -hmm. parent, had one that wasn't overprotective, but was a workaholic. And the list goes on. Was there valuable lessons I learned from them? Absolutely. Like you, yeah. though, I didn't really discover them till I was, you know, 20 years later yeah. after the fact. Yeah. And it's okay to sit back and reflect. And if you're unsure about the story that you're telling yourself about your past, talk to people that were around. Ask them. Yes. Sometimes yeah. we need to correct our stories because our brain is a really creative thing to protect ourselves and tells us what we want. And if we're getting fed a lot of negativity, that story our brain's telling us is negative focus. So don't be afraid to check in with other family members, siblings, aunts, uncles, hey, and somebody you trust, obviously. You don't want to talk to somebody that's just as negative as what you're thinking. Right. Mm-hmm. No, it, it is. And it's, it's, I, I encourage, you know, especially with everybody across the board, right. I'm in the business leadership space, faith space. And um, my story attracts a lot of you know, faith based men typically that have gone through some sort of trauma. And I mean, we've all gone through, through trauma, but yeah, going back and just peeling back the layers of your story. So example, I have a business owner come to me and he keeps capping out in his business. He's capped out at just this revenue level and he can't get past it. And every time he does, it's scary. And there's some kind of thing that he figures out a way to, to screw up and sabotage. So we just start, you know, peeling, peeling all that back all the way back to, I go, Hey, have you ever, you know, what's, what's your earliest memory of when you went for something big and it didn't work out? Like, like literally went and and he, he goes back to five years old, shares this story where he went for something big, didn't work out. And what, what were you told or what did you hear? And it's like, don't go for, don't go for anything big because the world's going to screw you. It's not going to work out. That's just how God made it. So don't even try. So, so literally 30, about 30 years later for this guy, he's in this scenario in business where he just keeps hitting this, this ceiling. And he's like, Matt, I had never gone back and thought about that. So then he started pulling back and looking at other parts and pieces of you know his earlier years. And he's like, oh, and then this happened here. And now this is why I carry this program. And then, oh, this same thing reinforced this one. So I'm sitting here, he's sitting here at like 32, 33, living as if he's still six or seven, you know, trying to grow a business 10 years into the future. Yeah, well, you know, I love how you, you know, God did, says this, or God, you know, this, this means this, this is what God intended. So many people speak for God. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and they really don't know what they're talking about. It, it's yep. so negative and really evil centered, centered, not intentionally to be that way, but it is, yeah. it's, it's not conducive to our growth. And really we need people such as yourself, you know, helping him check in with himself so that some people aren't strong enough to do it. Initially I wasn't been coached lots. I've gone through lots of different leadership things where I've had to discover myself but I still am not arrived. As we talked about, I still need to talk to other people. My podcast is great for that. It helps me like our conversation today has helped me check things about myself that I've forgotten that I need to check 
even if it's only been from yeah. yesterday. <laughs> it doesn't matter. No, absolutely. And we've, yeah, we've never, we've never arrived in any sense of any domain. Like we can always be better. Like we can always be better till the, till the day we die. And I think what, you know, what I want to leave behind is, is showing that to my kids and, and their kids and, and you know, for you, great grandkids, just, I am focusing on this journey of, of being better and honoring God, serving other people. And yeah, we are, we're hypocrites. Like, and we're going to totally screw it up every day. We're going to say we stand for this and believe in this. And then something's going to just, just get us where, where it knows it can get us. And we're going to, and, and we're not going to show up perfect. And, uh, and that's imposter okay. And, and imposter else. system, pardon me, imposter syndrome is, is real, right? Yes. It, it creeps yeah. in. We think we're doing well. We get so many accolades, people that are saying, well, you're doing great things. You might get a good, nice comment or a review whatever and like in regards to my book or my podcast but then it, again back to that evil always seems to be central centered party in our brain and somebody will say something negative to me and i go back to that helpless little bully kid mm -hmm. right it's just yeah like yeah. you know i'm not worthy right what made well, me think i could make a difference one thing i'd love to share just on my heart right now is sure, speaking to somebody last night i called a friend of mine up and she and I were going to talk about a business engagement and a business proposal. I said, how are you doing? She goes, pretty, pretty crappy. She said something else um, in terms of the vocab. And I'm like, oh, sorry. I go, what's what's up? Ah, well, you know, this, this was just a business call. I'm like, what's up? And we're on the phone for 30 minutes. And she just shares, ooh, just unleashes um, trauma, taking back to like her childhood and why she's having a really hard time today, like 40 years later. So I'm just listening to her and I'm like, you're not the normal, regular person that shows up, just the tone, the the energy, the words being used. And I said to her, I said, how old are you right now? And, and I think that is a, she's like, I'm five years old right now, going, going through this trauma. And it got pulled all the way up to, she's 50. It got pulled all the way up to this comment that this person made that had hurt her X amount of time ago. And I think that's a great, you know, when you, when you find yourself spiraling into negative state, negative thought processing, you're homeless under the bridge, right? Um, and I'm just saying this to remind myself of this too, selfishly, is like, what age are you right now? And who's, who's speaking that? Whose voice is that that you're listening to? And at what age? And I think that's been, that's been very powerful because it's easy to get, to get pulled and snapped back to um, your more formative years where you went, went through something. Oh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. We're going to get into talking about your book. We're going to run out of time here. Yeah. <laughs> but one of the things I know I did with my book, tied to back what we were just saying, was the evolution of that. What age am I? And my whole book is my origin up to where I am today in business. And I talk about the bullying. I talk about the different yeah. things that I experienced. I unpacked it. It was one of the most cathartic things I'd ever done was very humbling yeah. and hard to do though over a five month yeah. period dealing with the editors sending it back and forth yeah. it was, it was yeah. really it was really emotional I'd read it and go what I actually typed that out what yes I actually yeah. you know what I mean even if as I'm typing it I'm thinking ah, blah, 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 blah. but it would just hit me like a ton of bricks reading it back and my brain and that print connecting and going oh my gosh I didn't realize that's where I am today is based on this age here. So what you're talking about yes. was how yeah. old are you? 
So powerful, listeners. Listen to that again. Rewind this and uh, listen to that part again because it is so true. When you're reacting or you're feeling lousy, what age? What age are you feeling? Because really, at the end of the day, you look. Um, I had somebody on this within the first season. She's in the UK and she specializes in childhood trauma and where we where mm-hmm. our cutoff is and our emotional life at seven and eight years of, of age is just floored me when we were talking about it because then I did more research about it to think about the fact that we default back to a certain age consistently as adults and when you realize mm-hmm. it then you unpack it and that's what I did in my book so you know I really want to discuss your book right your Amazon Best-selling author of Painted Baby, connect with yes. clients through brave and vulnerable storytelling. You know, I love coaching people myself on being vulnerable in life, whether it's dealing with family, clients, how you know, help others to know or continue to know, like, and trust us. What truths have you discovered along your entrepreneurial journey of why vulnerability works? Because we live in a society, I mentioned this already, where we we paint this picture of perfection. And it prevents true connection. And the Painted Baby started, the book actually started in 2015. And I wrote it, Dwight, purely as a sales-focused book. And, and there's still, still a niche to that. But if you replace connect with clients through brave and vulnerable storytelling, replace clients with any other person you have a relationship with in your life. Connect with your spouse. Connect with your kids. Connect with your neighbor. Connect with your friend. Connect with your church. Um, we as humans, <clears throat> we're, we're conditioned to be the billboard ad, right? We just talked about this, go to social media, scroll through, you know, Matt's got the perfect life, the perfect wife, the perfect Fridays for breakfast, the perfect vacation. Um, when like, that's just not true, right? Six hours ago, I woke up this morning. I was having a really tough day waking up because of some challenges in front of me, but I didn't post that on, on social media. But when you sit down with another human um, and, and, and we start to posture, well, Dwight, how is it, how is it going? Well, I, clo- I closed $27,000 in business and boom, this is great. And then I've got this vacation coming up and, we, and we're, you know, we're trying to meet this standard, right? And then I'm sitting here with you, then I start to feel bad. So what do I do? Well, I need to posture up. And we think that's actually building a deep relationship when it's like, no, hey, Dwight, <clears throat> I'm not doing great today, man. Yeah, I woke I woke up early and I had some fears that I let get into my mind and it took me to some places where it shouldn't have. And I just need to talk about that right now and maybe talk to you about what age I am feeling right now. And you go, oh man, like Matt's human, right? Um, we all have what I call the pretentious bio, right? You're on Podmatch, so you're searching bios because you want to have a great guest that has accolades and they have credibility and they have things to share. That, that are important, they need to have done things. But you know, in between those lines, those moments of failure, where when you can capture that and share that with somebody, like that's how we connect as humans. And I actually found this out in, in a really crazy way as I was walking into like one of the biggest sales appointments that I was ever in front of in my painting company. And I walked in with, you know, the shiny, the shiny marketing brochure of a tip top A plus five star reviews. And I'm trying to close the deal with how great I am with this client. And he literally takes my marketing brochure and he throws it across his desk. He's like, this is crap. You know it. I know it. I want to know about a time that you screwed up a job. Why don't you tell me about a one star review or a not so happy client? And I had never been asked this before. 
like like we live in a society where the the marketing will make you think about the lack but you don't want to go talk about the lack you just want the quick fix to to bridge that gap um so back to the sales ap appointment i told bill said well fine you want to hear about a time we screwed up i said we actually painted a painted a baby do you want to hear about that we had a paint sprayer on a job site explode as we're getting ready to spray a door on a residential home and the, the mother the owner of the home is standing there with her nine-month-old baby right behind the painter as the paint gun explodes and it absolutely covered everything around that whole area with paint including the baby so like that's a bad day at the office and, and i was forced into this moment of of sharing this story and what happened when i did is not only did it engage the customer but he's like you're the kind of guy i want to do business with this whole time that i've known you and we had done other business before. He's like, you've always done a good job. There's never been an issue. And you say you have integrity, but how hard is it to show that you'll do the right thing when there's not the wrong thing to be done? And by showing somebody your worst moment and how you handle it, it actually shows more of what you say you're made of than the times that you come through with stuff all the time. Wow. That is an amazing yeah. story. And like I'm consolidating you. it pretty, pretty yeah, short well, of time course you too, are. You know? <laughs> of course you, but you know, the people listening or watching do what I did last night, go get the book. I bought Thank it you. on audible. I plan on starting to listen to it actually today. It's going to, I usually I have two, three books going at a, at a time, depending on how I feel. They're all different types of book. Sometimes most of my books are, are nonfiction, right? They're, they're basically based on real life. There's a personal development aspect to it. It's a, a feel good thing because at the end of the day, I'm not saying fiction books are bad, but my life has been more focused in the last 30 years. I started my personal development journey in 1993. This is my 30th year in personal development. And I find that when I'm at my weakest, listening to others' trials and tribulations and how they've gone past it and what they're doing to better themselves makes me have those aha moments. Like I've had so many of them during our conversation. So I appreciate that. One of the questions I have too, in regards to your, your book, it, it was part of something I read is why is it actually, why is bravery not a weakness like society would have us believe? So I, I define bravery as like, you're scared to death as you walk into something. It's not it's not being fearless. It's very, it's very uncomfortable. And my, my answer to that, I mean, I, I think it is an honorable, commendable trait being brave. So, I mean, I don't know that, that society says it isn't. I think it's the admission within that you're stepping into something scary. Oh, that guy's, that guy's so brave. Look what he or she is stepping in front of to accomplish when there's so much adversity, so much in front of that person. It's like, I am scared to death. I am scared to death. Um, so I think, I, I don't, I don't know. Would you say, Dwight, that you think it's stated in society that it's, that it's not, that bravery is not? Well, on a daily basis, depending on what you're confronted with, the facade of society, uh, they're, yeah. they're very judgmental. They're mm -hmm. people like, look what that person's done. They've, they've put themselves out there. Look what they've accomplished. You do, you hear more of, look what they're putting their family through. Look what they're putting their themselves through. So, mm -hmm. you know, th that bravery aspect 
throughout my lifetime in business or just dealing with the human condition of people, there's more negativity surrounded around what people see or what I would believe is bravery than, than there is, you know, strength of, of it, of the conviction of the fact of that they're putting themselves out there. They're being vulnerable back to yeah. that storytelling aspect or, yeah. or whatever the case may be. You know, I, so I think, and and we're kind and we're kind of intermingling bravery and vulnerability. But I would say in a, in a society where, like you look at you look at marketing, you look at business, they're they're painting this perfect picture, this ideal scenario of where things look at this perfect life that you could be living if you buy our product, use our service, and then you're like, no, it's not always that way. And I just think we we live in a condition in a society where we're supposed to show up and always be the most buttoned up version of ourselves and we know it's not true like everybody knows it's not true everybody knows that they're walking around as you know the marketing brochure but on the flip side they've got like the disaster right of whatever happened and when you see somebody go first and take that step and make that move there's going to be two reactions to it there's going to be people that go that is great this person let their guard down they were brave in being fearful and they presented and shared something with the world that is going to open them up to be judged, right? To have people make conclusions uh, about them, right? When I go out and I share, you know, I share my faith and I share where I was, somebody goes, ah, oh, well, that's not, you know, that's not true. That's not real. That's not what really happened. I think putting yourself out there, um, it encourages other people to go put themselves out there as well, but you are going to be open to that ridicule and judgment, mostly from people that aren't brave enough themselves to be vulnerable. So I, de I definitely think there's um, there's maybe a jealousy or a judgment aspect from others that you're going to get. I wrote a whole chapter about that in the book is when you decide, hey, I want to change my story. I want to change how I'm showing up. And I want to capture and craft and communicate my painted baby story. So one of my worst moments, biggest failures, biggest letdowns, and how that actually shows who I am at a higher level, um, there's a chapter that says feedback matters, but not all of it. Everybody in the world, 7 billion people on the planet can have feedback and an opinion about how you put yourself out there, but you've got to remember who you're here to serve and then why you would want to share that vulnerably with somebody. So it's, it's got to be to serve somebody, right? Like none of this is to try to garner more attention or benefit for me. This is to serve other people. Yeah. And we can't serve. We can't serve when we're just being perfect all the time. We can't serve when we're when we're buttoned up. It just it just creates this wall of I, I can never be what this person is. So how can this person help me? And then they drop the wall and build this this bridge of connection. But again, back to the fact of bravery, you know, is not a weakness. It really no. is something to help us connect. It's help. It, it 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 builds our tribe of people that know, like, and trust us, and we know, like, and trust them. Being brave can be scary because, like you said, we open ourselves up, up to ridicule. We open ourselves mm -hmm. up to judgment. But the people that are ridiculing and judging you, sometimes we're listening to it through our mindset of back to what age are you or we're seeing yep. it through our rosy glasses. So it's so much more in depth than we can get into, obviously, yeah. as we wrap up this show. But I look forward to listening to that chapter that you talk about in your book. And I highly yeah. suggest others listening or watching, uh, pick it up as well. And again, whether it's client centric or not centered, part of me, 
just replace it, like you said, with her, yeah. with whatever in that and that yeah. in that scope. So, Matt, if you had to give our listeners one last closing message, what would you tell them in regards to giving a heck and never giving up? Yeah, is you never you never know how close you are to that one more step or one more piece of action that's gonna like get you over the mountain, right? And 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 just get that traction that you need. And I just see so many people stop short. Like a lot of what we've talked about today, right, is just living in this society where uh, where, where there's all of this coming at us and maybe we haven't arrived or gotten to where we've wanted to go. And you're just like, you're one step, you're one phone call, you're one podcast away and just literally, literally keep going. Um, don't don't give up because you could be a lot closer than, than you think. Um, and if you are, uh, you have God in your life and faith is a part of your life is boldly share and declare that faith in your life. Cause it literally can change the life of, of somebody else, not just their life here, but, but their eternity, like that police officer, what, what that guy did and said, I don't know what the intentions were, but that kindness and that moment, it changed my eternity. So just, just mm-hmm. consider that when you're going out and doing business, you know, business every day. Yeah. What's your mm-hmm. intent? What you, yeah, I, I love that. Thank you for sharing. So our time is almost up and I want to respect our listeners and your time. However, before we end, can you please share with the listeners and those watching, what's the best way to reach out to you? Yeah, best way to find out about me, connect with me is my website. It's mattshaup.com. I'll make sure that goes into the show notes. People that are new to listening to my show, go to giveaheck.com. Hit on the podcast portal button. You will see a picture of Matt. And below that, it will be the abbreviated show, show notes, which, which will include um, his social media links as well as his yeah. website so that you can reach out to him. Any last final words before I wrap up? No, I love you guys. And Dwight, thank you so much for having me. It's been an honor and I really enjoyed the time today. Keep doing what you're doing. Thank you. And I appreciate you as well. You you continue to do what you're doing as well. Showing up is on a daily is a decision. So I appreciate you. So thanks so much for being on. Give a heck, Matt. I appreciate your time and sharing some of your experiences so that others too can learn. It is never too late to give a heck. Thank you for taking time out of your day and listening to give a heck. If you find value, I'd appreciate you sharing with your friends and family so they too can learn how to live life on purpose, not by accident. So you do not miss the next episode. Please subscribe on your favorite podcast platform and please also post a review. I look forward to reading your comments. This has been Dwight Heck. If you want to check out other podcast episodes or today's show notes, please check out my website, giveaheck.com. And until next time, Together, let us all strive to give a heck.